Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Oh my goodness. This is a full, full worship service, isn't it? Didn't you love seeing those, those kids for the Christmas choir? And I'd be uh, remiss to the point of, uh, I don't know, totally out of court if I didn't uh, take at least a second to say thank you to our choir for the Christmas Joy concert and Jim DeJarnette and all the... What a witness to joy for our community, to the joy of the Lord. And that's what we're talking about. Turn to Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3, and we're reading from an Old Testament minor prophet this morning at verses 14 to 20. And um, turn on your Bibles if you have them or turn in a Bible. I encourage you always to have the Word of God open in front of you. It might take you a minute to, to find Zephaniah, I know, but it's in there. Believe me, it's right in there. And, uh, and as we open the Scriptures, let's pray. Lord, do help us. Do help us to find what we need, to hear what we need, to be fed on what we need of your holy word as we turn to you with hope. In Jesus' name, and the people said, Amen. Amen. Zephaniah three fourteen to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, for the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you at that time. I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and we're grateful. Amen. On whose authority? Who says? Have you ever heard, have you ever found yourself saying that, that phrase? Who says? You can't eat that. Oh, really? Who says? You can't open that yet. Who says? You can't go in that, in that room. Who says? You ever asked that? You know, that doesn't, in my house, if I want to go in that room, I go in that room. I mean, who says? You find yourself asking. 
Or maybe you've been, uh, more seriously, maybe you've been the subject of unfair criticism in your life, and, and someone uh, has been uh, uh, trying to, to sort of bring your name down, and someone comes up to you and says, yeah, but, but consider the source. Have you ever used that phrase? Consider the source. Maybe the person who's launching the criticism has more problems than the person who's being criticized. Maybe. Maybe. Who says? Consider the source. Well, today, as we look at Christmas as a time for joy, as we continue in what we've called a joy exercise, an annual joy exercise, allowing the Lord to work joy into the course of our lives, I want to ask you to consider the source. I want you to ask, oh yeah? Who says? Because the answer, much to our delight, the answer is God says. It is time for joy because God says. It'd be one thing for me to get up here and say, hey, I think joy is really great for you. In my opinion, you ought to pursue more joy because it helps you live more fully. It's good for your relationships. It lowers your blood pressure. You know, it makes everything work a little bit easier in your life. It makes the lines on your face more attractive as you age. Uh, people who have joy, you know, they, they get paid more. They have happier marriages. They raise more successful kids. You know, whatever. So, you ought to, uh, here are 10 tips for joyful thinking. You, say, you know, that would be one thing. For me to get up here and, and the message is, hey, Tim thinks that we should experience joy. Tim thinks we should pursue joy. But that's not what I'm saying to you at all. What I'm saying to you is this. It isn't time for joy because I say so. It isn't time for joy because you say so or the world says so. It's time for joy because God says so. Joy doesn't depend on you or me. Joy is something God does. Joy is something God is doing. Who says? God says. What's your notion of God? When I use the word God, what are you picturing in your mind? What is your default picture of God? Now, this might be something that you've heard uh, many times. If you're a Christian, you've heard many sermons where people have said, what do you, how do you picture God? And these, uh, these cliches can be a little bit trite and shallow, and I'm going to try not to be trite and, and shallow, but somehow we fall back into to these, these notions again and again and again. Who is God? Who do you picture? Are you just picturing your earthly father only more so? Is that who God is? It's just your, your father who you knew in your life, only, only bigger? Is God the unforgiving judge up over the bench, just, just waiting, watching carefully to see if you make a mistake? Is that who God is? Is God a cosmic killjoy who just uh, watches you running through life and everything that you think is fun, God says is a bad idea? Is he just after you, trying to make you miserable and demanding that you live a bored and bland life? Is that who, is that who God is? Who, what you think of God, who you think God is, can really mess with how you live your life and can supremely confuse the way you worship or the way you pray or the way you pursue any relationship with God at all. 
Who is God? Jesus said in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who's seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, he said. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Who is God? If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. But God can also be clearly seen in the Old Testament. I want to say very clearly this morning, the notion that there is a God of the Old Testament who's angry and bitter and mean, and then there's a second God that you find in the Old Testament who's loving and happy and nice, this notion is totally false. The very same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is revealed to us straight through the inspired Scriptures from front to back. And the joy of the Lord can be found in the prophets. The joy of the Lord is present in the Old Testament. So we read Zephaniah today. It's customary for Christians to read from the prophets during this season of Advent, this season of awaiting the birth. No one knew more about waiting than these prophets. As they waited and longed and watched for the promised Messiah to come year after year after year. And Zephaniah was a prophet. He was anointed to share the word of God. Prophets always began their prophecy with something like, thus saith the Lord, or hear the word of the Lord. Here is what God says. So this book, in the same way, it opens, if you turn back to chapter 1, it opens in verse 1 with the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, etc., etc., See, this wasn't one guy's best run at things. This isn't Zephaniah's insightful commentary on the state of affairs. This is the word of the Lord. Who says? God says. Who says? God says. And can you agree with me this morning, wherever you're coming from, wherever you're coming from in your spiritual walk, that if God is God, God gets to say. Can we agree? Who says? God says. Zephaniah was a prophet back around 620 B.C. during the reign of King Josiah in Judah. And the great nation Israel from King David's time and Solomon's time had been conquered and split and diminished and it looked like the candle was about to go out when King Josiah instituted a series of reforms and renewal to get the people back in touch with God. And that's when Zephaniah was a prophet. He was one of the mouthpieces of all of this renewal. And this short book of prophecy, if you read it, it's a scathing indictment of a people far from God and of enemy nations attacking the people of God and of a world devoid of justice. That's what this little book is in three chapters. It's not a happy book. It's not a joyful book. The people of God, we read, they steal and cheat and take advantage of one another. The enemies of the people of God, they taunt and attack uh, the, the nation with impunity. The religious leaders themselves are, are overcome with, with unfaithfulness. They're fickle and profane and selfish and corrupt. It's not a happy book. It's not a happy time. 
But still, there are signs that God, who everybody seems to to believe doesn't care or isn't involved or is never going to do anything, there are signs that God is about to do something. God is about to act to set things right in a world that has gone way, way wrong. God appoints a time for joy. Just quickly, follow with me. Here's a a verse from chapter 1, Zephaniah 1, 7, just to illustrate what's going on in a, in a passage like this. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, it says, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. Zephaniah 1, 7. You read that and think, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> Who... Who, is, who is, is this guy talking about? Here's evidence in my view that the inspired scriptures were mysteries even to the men who wrote them until Christ came. What sacrifice has the Lord prepared? What host is there who invites people to a party and consecrates them, makes them sacred by bringing them into the party? Who, who, who could that possibly be? Zephaniah doesn't have any idea. In this passage, it it parallels a silence injunction in Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And then another silence injunction. Hang with me here. You're in the Old Testament class for just a minute. Hang in. We get another silence injunction, Zechariah 2.13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself in his holy dwelling. And all these prophets, they seem to be weaving something together that they can only dimly imagine. But these scriptures together now, these three verses as a scripture cluster, provide the basis for one of my very favorite Christmas carols. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. And with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. Who is the Lord who's roused himself from his holy temple? Who is the one before whom we keep silent? Who is the one who prepares a sacrifice that makes holy the people invited to the table? It's Jesus. And what's the point? The point is that the Spirit of God was whispering to these prophets. Things that that they themselves couldn't fully understand, but that now, today, you and I, through Christ, can see very clearly. In moments of confusion in your life, hold on. God will appoint a time for joy. Let's go on. Let's push on. Enough Old Testament class. Amen? Because not only are there hints that God is going to do something, but we get somewhere here in Zephaniah. We get somewhere. We get to a song. And you know, you know what a song is? When you find a song in Scripture, that means God has done something. A song always indicates that God has moved mightily. And so we get to a song. Zephaniah 3.14, sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. I hope you know 
Those are names for the people of God. And when you see those names, you just insert yourself in there. If you're in Christ, then you are the people of God. And so you sing, you be glad, you shout aloud because of what God has done. When God acts, there is gladness, there's rejoicing, there's singing, there's shouting. Shouting. What makes you celebrate? What really makes you celebrate? If you look back over the week, was there a moment that you just, you celebrated, you shouted with joy? I mean, maybe in, in the year, was there a moment that you found yourself just shouting for joy? Woohoo! Yes! Amen! Come on! Lead the way, Christine. What makes you shout for joy? You know, I picture these, uh, these U.S. Air Force cadets on graduation day. You know? When they chuck that hat, they, they don't just sort of go, <laughs> have you seen it? They're chucking that hat as high as they can possibly chuck it because there's joy in that moment. Woohoo! Friends, there is something that God has done in history and is doing in your life to cause celebration as rambunctious and as full as that and more. What is it? It is this. God intends to be with you. With you. He's with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 16, on that day, says Zephaniah. Now, this is before Jesus comes. This is looking forward. And Zephaniah, by the Spirit of God, he's saying, on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. Don't you love that image? The Lord your God is what? With you. A mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. On that day, the Lord your God will be with you. Matthew 1, 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Hallelujah. The day that's coming, the day that's coming, it's Christmas Day. It's Jesus' birthday. It's a time for joy. It is God with us. Hallelujah. Amen. What is Jesus going to be like? What is God really like? Jesus says, if you want to know God, look to me. Well, who is Jesus? I want you to just keep verse 17 of Zephaniah chapter 3 in front of you. And we're looking at Jesus now. It says he's a mighty warrior. Here is might mightier than might. Here is power more powerful than power. You thought you understood life and you thought you understood the game and you thought that the way it is is the way it's got to be. You thought you understood every, every variable that comes into the equation. No. There is might mightier than the might you know. There is power more powerful than the power you know. I don't know what powers are messing with you in your life. 
I don't know what powers are pushing against you with confusion and causing you to walk sideways and slant through this world, but there is a power more powerful than power, and it's found in Jesus Christ, and he is mighty to save, and he has come to set things right again. He's a mighty warrior who saves. He's a savior, it says. The mighty warrior who saves. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever been saved by a lifeguard or a first responder or anybody like that? If you have, you know, it's a little embarrassing, isn't it? You think, oh gosh, why did I have to get into this situation? And sometimes, maybe they were very kind to you, very nice to you, but sometimes, um, you, you know, they could just as easily be a little frustrated with you, right? Well, how, how, why'd you drive your car down into that ditch? That was really dumb. Now, I had to come out here, drag you out of here, you know? And uh, why are you swimming in that end of the pool? You can't swim, you know? Come on. Is that who Jesus is? No, look at this. He delights over you. The mighty one who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Friends, none of this false dichotomy of the wrath of God over here and the love of God over here. Listen to me now. The love of God, it burns, it burns so intensely that the love of God, it cannot stand your own self-harming or other harming disobedience. And so it moves against that. But it's all love. Do you see? It's all love. It is all love. In Christ, the love of God will not push you away. It will draw you close. He says, oh, in my forgiving love, I no longer rebuke you. I sing over you with joy, with joy. God will rejoice over you with singing. Our God sings. Jesus sings. God sings over you with joy. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. You have no idea. And when he's, when he's over you, when he's present with you, when all this is, he sings over you with joy. Our God sings. Friends, three implications from all this, and then I'll close. Number one, number one, if there were no joy in God, there would be no joy in us. Can you imagine a loveless, joyless God? This passage is remarkable because it, it does just what we were asking earlier. It shows us a little bit of who God is, his inner character. What's in there? What's in the core? And what do we see? We see a God who delights in us who forgives and redeems us, who saves us and sets things right in the world with power, but who sings, a God who sings with joy. I remember I was a camp counselor when I was in college, and the first time I got introduced to this passage, because, you know, Zephaniah is not a favorite. It's not, I mean, I, I, we love it, but... But the first time that, that I got introduced to this is because there was a praise song in the 90s called Shouts of Joy. And as a camp counselor, we would gather the kids for a meeting and we would sing this song, Shouts of Joy. 
and it was an energizer song. So we would sing, the Lord your God is in your midst, and everybody would clap four times. A warrior who saves, clap, 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 clap. He will exult over you with joy. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with shouts of joy. That's how it went. And when we did that bit, shouts, we got all the middle schoolers. You know, this was an energizer song. We wanted to get all the energy out of them. So he'd say, when it gets to shout, you've got to shout as loud as you can. And then throw your hands in the air and dance around in a circle with joy. Okay? So we did that. You know, 200 middle schoolers in a small room dancing around. Got all, got all, all that out of them. You could smell it coming out of them. I mean, it just, <laughs> get all that energy out. And it was fun to sing that song. But I remember a day when, when I listened to that song. In fact, I was leading that song and watching all these kids dance. And, and it hit me later that day. I thought, is that true? And I had to go to the Bible and look it up. I wanted to look up the passage that this song is based on. Because I thought, is that true? Does God really rejoice? Does God really sing over me? God sings for joy at your restored relationship with him. He looks to you and he's singing with joy. He's exulting over you. He's dancing in the joy of your restored relationship. There's joy in God. He is joyful. And God rejoices to see you come home to him no matter where you've been. Number two, our relationship is full of joy. Our restored relationship with God is not just even, but it's full to overflowing. God sings for the restoration of our relationship. He sings to be with us again. He sings that we are restored. You see, our sin and our disobedience, they cause a rupture and a break in our relationship with God. Jesus came to restore. He came to fix the breach. And his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, this all opens up the way home for us. And that's why the joy that I'm talking about this morning, it is isn't dependent on you or me. The joy that I'm talking about is dependent on a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But sometimes we talk about that and we talk about our restored relationship with God and Jesus Christ and we think of it in terms of we've come to even. We've come to even, you see. There was a, a debt to be paid and it got paid and now we're even. There's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing between us. I don't have anything against God. God doesn't have anything against me because His Son Jesus paid my penalty. We're even. You see? Well, that's not a relationship that makes anybody sing. That's not a relationship that makes anybody sing. And the Scripture says that God sings over the restoration of this relationship. So we must be missing something. 
God sings over his restored relationship with you. It must be more than coming up to even, and it is. It's a rich, intimate, loving relationship we have with God. Our relationship is marked with joy. Listen, in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you are invited into the love and joy of God himself. You have reunion with God the Father, communion with the Trinity, Holy, uh, Holy uh, Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You're invited in to their fellowship in Jesus Christ. And when you enter in there, do you know what you find? Not some angry, hostile, judgy, frowny God. No, you find an eternal celebration of joy that you enter into by the power of the Spirit through the victories of Christ. Three, friends, this is the church. Number three, at the core of our fellowship is joy in union with Christ. It make my heart sing to hear you say that with me. At the core of our fellowship, is joy in union with Christ. At the core, at the secret center, in the, in the back room, you know, at the very middle of this enterprise we call First Pres, I'm telling you, at the middle of all of it is joy in our union with Christ. Just the other night we gathered all the elders, the active elders of this church and pastors and we had a little Christmas dinner together. You know what we did? We sang, and we just told stories of what we have seen God do in First Pres in 2018. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. At the core of our fellowship is joy in union with Christ. What the prophets longed to see is what we are living out God with us. We have union with God in Christ Jesus. We have communion, a shared life-giving connection with God himself and with one another by his healing power. And I hope you feel it. I hope you feel it at Christmas. I hope you feel it on special occasions. I hope you can genuinely feel that it's there. But I hope you feel it every single time we gather. There is something heating us up from the very core, from the very center of this organization, this body, the church, at the very center. There is joy in union with Christ. So, friends, what is God's intent? What does God have planned for you, his child? Verse 20, look at it with me. At that time, this is God speaking, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. And now, these three critical words, three words to close the prophecy, three words to end the book of Zephaniah. These three words, say them with me, says the Lord. Not says Pastor Tim. Not says 
Zephaniah. Not says Dr. Phil. Not says Oprah. Not says Pinterest. Not says Huffington Post or wherever else you get your advice. No, no, no. Not says you. Not says me. Not says the situation or the circumstance or the challenges that are in our lives. None of those things get to speak the way the Lord speaks, says the Lord. On what do I base my claim that God intends your joy? That whatever you're going through today, joy has been appointed for you? On what do I base my claim? On these three words, says the Lord. Friends, this was a long time ago, this scripture. It was 2,600 or so years ago when this man sitting in the dim light of a failing nation struggled to peer into the promises of God and listen to the Spirit of God whispering to him what was to come. And do you know what he saw from that darkened chamber? Do you know what he caught a glimpse of in his prayer and in his listening to God? Do you know what he could just dimly begin to see all those 2,600 years ago? It was you, and it was me, one day celebrating the very presence of God with us. It was us, right here, on this corner of these streets, in this town, keeping Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, God with us, a time for joy. Lord, thank you so much that when we dig deeply and seriously into your character, we find love and we find joy and we find peace and all the beauties of what makes life so great. Lord, be with us as a church as we step forward into the celebration of Christmas once again this year. It's a pleasure, Lord. It's a privilege. It's a joy to lift your name and meet us, Lord, we pray, in the joy of union with you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.